Listeners, hello. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. David Steele here. Special announcement time. Don't panic. Peter and I have been releasing episodes weekly with the occasional break at Christmas time since 2020. We've managed to maintain this weekly schedule, but unfortunately, Peter has developed laryngitis. And this has thrown a bit of a spanner in the works. So, we're presenting over the next couple of weeks a couple of things that we didn't originally plan to to do, but we want to try and keep up the schedule and, and all that sort of stuff. So, this week, Peter has stuck together an omnibus edit of the 1970 Justice League Justice Society team up from issues 82 and 83 of Justice League of America. These issues are significant at the current point in time because the Spectre features quite prominently in these issues. It's the fact it's the last time the Spectre was seen until his imminent reappearance in our timeline in Adventure Comics. So think of it as an omnibus repeat of a, a favourite Doctor Who or Star Trek story that gets flung out on a rainy bank holiday or when the cricket gets cancelled. That sort of thing. We are working to to get Peter back to full health as soon as possible. We've got a plan we're going to try and do over the next couple of weeks. But in the meantime, join us in revisiting this story, which we released in the summer of 2022. This is one where we'd help from our pal Gavin, who does a sterling job adding some extra voices. So do enjoy if you haven't heard it before. If you have heard it before, you might enjoy listening to it again. It might get you hyped for the return of the Spectre. Can't wait to do those stories. Very excited. So yeah, we present for you once again. Justice League of America issues 82 and 83. Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast. The podcast explores the origins and development of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters through the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. I'm Gavin Rizza. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. And a special welcome to Gavin Rizza. Hello, Gavin. Hello. Hello. Are you well? I am. Excellent. I'm glad to hear it. Gavin's a friend of the show. He's helping us out this week because we have arrived in the 1970s, which means it's the first JLA-JSA crossover of a new decade. And with a cast of thousands, Peter and I probably couldn't manage it all ourselves. <laughs> so Gav's given us a hand. Thank you, Gavin. Uh, my pleasure. So, issue 82 of Justice League of America, published on the 11th of June, one week before Paul McCartney's 28th birthday, listeners, which ties into a recent episode, which I hope you enjoyed. We certainly did. The 11th of June, 1970, it's our 21st Neil Adams cover. Hey! And Peter's going to tell you all about it. Well, it's got a big banner at the top, the usual Justice League of America shield. It's fantastic. The world's greatest superheroes. Down the left-hand side, we have the roll call of the Justice League, which is Superman. Batman. Flash. Black Canary. Green Lantern. Atom. Green Arrow. And we see some heroes, and they're in peril. In the foreground, we have the Earth-1 Flash Barry Allen, the Earth-1 Superman, and the Earth-1 Batman, and they're all writhing in pain. It kind of looks like they're busting a move, doesn't it? It does, (laughs) yeah. It looks like they're getting down. Severe ear guitar from Superman there. I'm going to be putting a guitar emoji onto that picture of Superman and sticking it in the, the Instagram story at one point. Listeners, just you wait for it. And behind them on a screen, we see the Earth 2 Flash Jay Garrick, who is coiled in some sort of energy net. And he's in exactly the same painful position as the Earth 1 Barry Allen Flash. Behind Superman, we see the Earth 2 Superman. And again, he's coiled in pain in a kind of energy net. And he's in exactly the same position as the Earth 1 Superman. And behind Batman of Earth 1, we have the Earth 2 Dr. Midnight, Mm. who's coiled 
in some sort of energy net and he's in exactly the same position as the Earth One Batman. What could possibly be happening? And the Earth One Superman is saying, Whatever is crushing the Justice Society on their Earth is doing it to us on our world. Crikey. That really sells it. It's a beauty. I really mm-hmm. like it. But mm-hmm. obviously, it really looks like Barry is doing a Jimi Hendrix-style fretboard <laughs> behind the neck, sort of. And Batman just looks like he's out. I mean, I don't want to say what it looks like Batman's doing, quite frankly. <laughs> it's very interesting. The, the Dr. Midnight Batman parallel thing there is something we'll talk about once we've done mm-hmm. the story. It's very, very interesting. So, Gav, do you like the cover? I like it very much. Oh, good. I'm glad. <laughs> right, we shall leap into the story. Our opening panel has an opening caption that says, Metropolis, Saturday afternoon, one of those summer days that puts peace in the bones and laughter in the blood. Laughter in the blood sounds like the name of a Nine Inch Nails B-side or something, maybe? A Weird Al Yankovic Bob Dylan album? If you think so. Peace in the bones certainly sounds like a Weird Al Yankovic Bob Dylan. Anyway, our opening panel shows three small boys. One's got a newspaper under his arm. I wonder if they're actually some kind of newsboy legion. Who can say? Mm. Another's got a comic rolled up in his back pocket because that's what you're supposed to do with them. You're not supposed to wrap them in plastic and never read them. And the little boys, well, they're pointing up to the sky. The first little boy says, Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. Ah, stupid. Don't you recognize Superman when you see him? He must be going to visit his friends at the Daily Planet. And sure enough, we see Superman flying through the air, hurtling towards the familiar Daily Planet building, that skyscraper with the globe at the top with Daily Planet written on it. Inside the newspaper city room, reporter Jimmy Olsen is putting the finishing touches on a feature story. He looks up and recognizes his friend and idol. A Superman peers through the open window. Jimmy looks around and says, Superman, hey, good to see you. And then he says in the next panel, Watch out, the wall! And the Man of Steel keeps going. There's a crash as he basically goes right through the wall and out the other side. On and on, the Man of Steel plummets through walls and a steel transmitting tower. The final panel, page one, there's a sound effect as Soup's collides and breaks the aforementioned steel transmitting tower. Now, I have a transmitting tower. You'd probably be surprised to learn. Because it's mine, it's also a steel transmitting tower. Of course. Soups continues on his almost rampage in the first panel of page two. And a parked truck. And the pavement. And finally, his momentum exhausted comes to rest on subway tracks. Yes, all sorts of drama with frooms and blashes and a final flop as he lands on underground train tracks. A couple of chaps stand looking down at him. One of them looks so he probably works for the railways, looking at his cap. He says, Cripes, is he sick or something? I don't know. We better contact the Justice League. Fast. On the foreground of that panel, we see Soups lying, seemingly unconscious. Within minutes, a message is broadcast to a satellite circling in fixed orbit 22,300 miles above the United States, the home of the far-famed Justice League. And this is the grim beginning of an adventure that will span universes and endanger the human race. The whole of the human race. People of two worlds know that your like may soon be gone unless the mighty federation of heroes can conquer the... Peril of of the Paired Planets! Amazing. Tiny Captions tells the stories by Denny O'Neill with art by Dick Dillon and Joe Giella. We arrive at the top of page three. Barely an hour after Superman's sudden inexplicable plunge, his co-justice leaguers Hawkman and Flash carry his limp form to a hidden Thanagarian relativity beam unit. 
and a full moon looms in the background as we see Hawkman and the Flash carrying Superman across the rooftop towards the aforementioned Transmat. Which whisks him to the orbiting JLA command post. Then, in the central laboratory... Suits is stretched out on a very fancy-looking electronic sort of table. The Flash, Hawkman and Batman stand around him. The Atom stands on top of the machinery, a bit more close to the prone Man of Steel. The Flash says... Not a trace of kryptonite. Any sign of organic disorder, Adam? All systems read zero, Flash. If that's so, we should be able to revive him, says Hawkman. Batman says, But we can't. We've eliminated kryptonite as a cause of Superman's sudden sickness, and he's not near a red sun. Those are the only natural things that could affect him. Therefore, by simple process of elimination, he was struck by the supernatural magic. Oh, come on, Batman, says the Atom. Magic? That's not exactly probable. Not probable, perhaps, but... Certainly possible. Remember, just about a year ago, we tangled with the Chthonic demons. And a footnote reminds us of issue 72 of JLA, which I don't think we read, did we? Nope. That's all right then. Listeners, if you feel inclined, you can go and look it up. Batman continues in the final panel of page three. And there was... was... And he suddenly stops. He raises his hands almost up to his throat. It, his mouth's wide open. He looks, well, looks like he's being choked. Hawkman says... Batman, what's wrong? And the Atom chimes in with... Looks like he's strangling. First panel of page four, Hawkman and the Flash lift Batman's prone body and lay him down beside Superman as the Atom says, get him on the table, quick. I'll energize the bioanalyzer. So Batman's all hooked up to the machine in the next panel. Ray's looking at the readings and he says, respiration and metabolism near minimum. No external wounds, says the Flash. And no evidence of poison, says Hawkman. In the next panel, the Atom continues, first Superman, now Batman. What the devil is going on? Maybe Batman's razor-sharp logic could have made sense of it. Yes, maybe, but let's face it, this is beyond the three of us. With Batman and Superman disabled, we need help. All we can get, I'm contacting Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Black Canary, cancelling the leaves of absence immediately. And we see Hawkman crossing to a fancy microphone on the equipment desk beside him. He's operating a switch, and a footnote tells us... The reasons for the trio's absences have been related memorably in the July 1970 issue of Green Lantern. Which issue is that then? I don't know. That's the start of Hard Travelling Heroes, right. yes. Interesting. And Hawkman says, as he leans into the microphone in the final panel of page four, I only pray that they can come up with an answer. Hawkman's prayers are in vain, for the answer he seeks lies a universal way on an alternate plane of existence, in the reality where superheroes are joined as the... Justice Society of America. Excellent panel showing a globe of the Earth. Radiant glow all around it. It's very, very effective. It would have been nicer if there had been two Earths side by side. Mm. Maybe we'll get something similar later in the story. Who can say? The captioning continues. Twin Earths, twin galaxies, twin realities occupying the same physical space, yet separated by a gulf more vast than mere distance. Each atom and electron, each proton and neutron, vibrates in harmony with eternal cosmic rhythm, and although the evolution of the twin universes is merely parallel, they vibrate differently. Thus, time is slower on Earth too, and its inhabitants will reach mankind's ultimate destiny, or ultimate doom, 20 years later than the creatures of Earth 1. That's very specific, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Obviously, it's, Peter's delighted that Denny Neal has given him so much to say on this <laughs> issue. It's quite good. It gives me a bit of a break, to be honest. It's good. That little caption obviously 
relates to the sort of acceptance that Superman of Earth One and Wonder Woman and mm. all that sort of developed roughly at this point, twenty years after their yeah. their Earth Two counterparts. I like that. Some more captioning. Vast though the gulf is, it can be breached and has been. Every twelve months, the temporal matrices of the Earths come together briefly. For 21 days, superpowered men and women can cross to the other existence. Can and have. So the Justice League and Justice Society have often met and teamed to fight extraordinary menaces which have threatened both. And we get a lovely panel running out page 5, which is basically a bit of a flashback as opposed to the events of JLA 29 and 30. Batman punching out Owlman and Wonder Woman punching out Superwoman. And a few other heroes hanging around here. I'm not sure we're actually in that story. In the background, we can see <laughs> Hal Jordan's Green Lantern and Starman flying along with Superman, Doctor Fate. We also mm-hmm. see Hawkman, the Barry Allen Flash, Alan Scott, Green Lantern, Doctor Midnight, and Our Man. I'm not sure they were all in 2930. No, but I can't quite remember. No, so long as we did that one now, actually. Very true. Yeah, because it was on Time Hop the other day. It was two years when we took the photograph of us wearing the power rings. Gasp. So that's nice, isn't it? There's a bit of bonus content for you <laughs> listeners. As the podcast develops in real time, we arrive at the top of page six now. There is one, however, who is not quite a member of either group, of any group, because he is not human. Not quite. No, it's not the Seventh Doctor, sadly. It's blooming Red Tornado. Oh, no! Can't stand Red Tornado at this point in his career. Sorry, I'm opinioning. (laughs) This is a nice panel, though, of Red Tornado and his twisty legs flying through space, as he's saying. This is where the Red Tornado belongs, in the cold of space where nothing lives, including me. Who'd say a robot is alive? Certainly not the Justice Society. Oh, they're kind enough, like they'd be to a lost puppy. I've got superpowers, intelligence, everything except humanity. One thing I wish I didn't have, emotions. Oh, chin up, lad, it could be worse, eh? He's the ultimate cheer-up goth. His flight through space is arrested in panel three because he's come across a very well. What does he say here? Huh? A spaceship? And it didn't come from Earth. It must be invaders. I wish you said it must be the invaders. Ah. <laughs> <But> sadly, <laughs> that crossover's yeah, never going to happen. Still a few years away. Yeah, let's try and describe the spaceship. There's a big sort of red ring. There's a central structure. There's some wings. It's all kind of stuck together. It looks like the sort of thing that you might have made out of a couple of hair dryers and a couple of bits of shower rail for season three of Blake 7. Reddy flies up around it in panel four of page six, saying, Oh boy. This is my chance. I'll single-handedly stop the aliens, then everybody'll have to like me. Then the final panel of page six, Reddy is struck by a burst of pink energy which comes from the spaceship. He cries, Yay! And then a voice from inside the spaceship says, We have halted the attacker. Excellent. Bring him aboard. And then we're inside the vessel in the first panel of page seven. We get a look at Reddy's captures. They have blue skin, little antenna. Weird eyes and huge open mouths. Quite scary. They wear sort of pink, reddish robes. In the first panel, Red Tornado is being pulled in through an airlock. One of the aliens is saying, It appears to be a thinking machine creator too. Excellent. We may make use of it. Subject it to the Vibrex. We don't see creator two at this point, but we'll see him in a couple of panels. Panel two, Reddy, seemingly unconscious, or as unconscious as a robot can be. He's lying in front of a bit of fancy looking scientific equipment. The alien above him is saying, Incredible, Crater 2. The double rhythms already exist. We need make only the slightest of alterations. Need I say, excellent? Do so at once. The next panel 
The alien is, well, it looks like he's unscrewed the top of Red Tornado's head. This is really disturbing. Mm-hmm. He's holding it up almost like he's holding up a, a basin, like as if he was Oliver Twist asking for more. And we get the first proper look at the person he's talking to. Creator 2 wears blue robes, high collar. He's a large blue, bald, domed forehead, blue skin, very distinct wide features as his hands clasped in front of him. The alien with the antenna, his lackey, says, Explain to this lowly servant, Creator 2, what hope we to accomplish? As you know, we have a contract to build a new planet to our client's specifications. To do this, we must build our own elements. And to do that, we must release tremendous amounts of energy. Indeed, so much energy that we need destroy two planets to accomplish it. My instruments show that two proper-sized worlds coexist in different dimensions here. We need but bring them together, bridge the vibration separating them, and the collision will destroy both and give us our energy. Final panel of page 7. The alien is poking about inside Ray Tornado's head. This is horrible. Might stick out in the socials. It's pretty cool. Alien says, and how may we accomplish this? By attuning a being to both sets of vibrations. The thing you have before you is already attuned. In the first panel of page 8, we see the alien sliding just what looks like a metal panel into the openness of Reddy's head. It's very <laughs> disturbing. It kind of suggests that there's nothing actually in mm-hmm. Red Tornado's head. I don't think about that too much. We'll see <laughs> if any other Red Tornado stories in the future contradict this. Perhaps we might get a cutaway schematic. Creator 2 continues. Simply put the harmonizer plate within it. So I have Creator 2. That's obviously what the that metal plate is then. It's the harmonizer plate. Take it to the transporter. So this apprentice is doing. We see him starting to move Reddy's body. In the final panel of this little sequence of three at the top of page eight, we see Reddy being cast out into space as Creator 2's voice from inside the spaceship says, And set the coordinates for a spot exactly between the dimensions. Caught in an eddy between the void occupied by Earth 1 and that of Earth 2, like a magnetic drawing them closer and closer, the Red Tornado rests, an unwilling, unconscious instrument of certain doom. This is another cracking panel, just ready in the void, being surrounded by jagged blasts of yellow lightning. Very, very effective. So, first panel of page nine now, listeners. Meanwhile, back at Creator 2's ship... Yes, we can see about half a dozen of the antenna aliens all standing as Creator 2, who's not really, it seems, physically in the room. He's surrounded by sort of golden aura. It could be a projection, or maybe mm. he's just disembodied. It's very odd. But he's looking at a very big television screen. As he does so, he's saying... I foresee only a single possible difficulty. There exists a number of natives with extraordinary powers. They know themselves as the Justice Society. I have thoroughly scanned them and discovered their individual weaknesses. Yes, this big picture on the telly. That famous, is it a Dick Dillon drawing of the JSA on one side and the JLA on the other that was published, you know, about a year or so ago? Around about that one. It shows the assembled members of the Justice Society. Significantly, we don't see Black Canary, but we do see Superman, Batman, right? This is supposedly Batman of Earth 2, and we can see that 
there's a yellow oval around his chess symbol. Gosh. <laughs> so perhaps he tried it out mm, once or twice. I don't know. Mm. I don't know, but it certainly blows the edges for some of the brave and bold stories we're doing. Yeah. The next row has our man, the Flash, Wildcat, Mr. Terrific, Johnny Thunder, not wearing a bow tie, Starman, Doctor Fate with NC Red Tornado and the Spectre, and down in front, Screen Lantern, the Atom, Wesley Dodds, the Sandman, Wonder Woman, the Robin of Earth 2, Doctor Midnight, and Hawkman. Creator 2 continues in the next panel. I have incorporated countermeasures in these web snares. You need but use them in the normal way. Yes, and what we see hovering in midair between Creator 2 and his little alien lackey. Well, as Pete described in the cover, it's a form of energy net. Certainly some netting. It's glowing with a yellow aura. And there's little bits that sort of stretch out from it. They look kind of weird. I think we're going to get a bit of an explanation for them, though. The alien is saying, Why, ask this humble mendicant, will we need them? Possibly. Because five of you must journey to the planet's surface and plant these matrix correctors in specified places. These will ensure the proper type of explosions when the barrier sunders. We get a closer look. It's almost like a weird sort of fungal jellyfish mm -hmm. that is on a sort of tendril coming out of the main body of the, the energy net. It has little hands of its own and it looks like it's grasping a very small little green bottle. It looks like something that was wrapped around John Pertwee in, in, in Spearhead from Space, perhaps. It's, no, it's the sort of thing that you would see a giant version of in the, the sort of end papers of an early 70s Doctor Who annual. Yeah, and a drawing yeah. of John Pertwee would be sort of coming like this. <laughs> Some miming listeners, you'll have to picture it for yourself. Mm. Anyway, panel four. The five tasked alien lackeys are flying from the spaceship, each bearing one of the energy nets. And created whose voice comes from inside, saying, Go now, faithful and goodly workers. And speed you well. Even as the aliens swoop into the night sky, Superman, bearing the mysterious Dr. Midnight, hurls toward the metropolis of Earth 2. This is a great panel. I wish we saw more images of superheroes on the commute. Dr. Midnight says, Thanks for the lift. Anything to oblige a fellow Justice Society member, and anyway, your base is only a thousand miles out of my way. It'll only take four seconds. And that long because you don't dare go full out with a passenger. Superman looks up in the first panel of page 10 and he sees the five aliens from Creator 2's spaceship flying down. Man of Steel says, Invaders, my telescopic vision shows extraterrestrials descending through the atmosphere and the trajectory of one will put them in a city just below us. I'll leave you here to wait for him while I go after the others. It's a great panel showing Superman and Dr. Midnight alighting in a very messy alleyway. There's a dustbin at the front if you took part in the dustbin lid drinking game when we were doing the Spectre a few months ago. You can take a drink. <laughs> Dr. Midnight says, Okay, I'll see you soon. Panel three, we see Dr. Midnight walking towards a telephone booth. Kids, you might not know what a telephone booth is. Ask your parents, ask your grandparents. And as he walks towards this now defunct form of communication, the Doctor is thinking, Never a dull moment. It may be some time before the bug-eyed monster or whatever it is arrives. So I'll enter this phone booth and not to change my clothes but to call the Justice Society's answering service and alert the rest of the gang. And we see Dr. Midnight lifting the receiver and putting a coin into the slot, which is something that we all used to do back in the olden days, kids, but you probably never have to. Amazing. There's a caption for the final panel of page 10. While Midnight dials, Earth 2's Action Ace closes with Creator 2's Sly Servant. Yep. Soups flies up towards the alien and its antenna with the net stretched out. And as the alien spots Superman flying towards him, it thinks, As the Master predicted, 
A Justice Society member seeks to apprehend me. I'll permit him to get a bit closer. Now, I loose the specially treated snare web. And he throws the net towards Superman, who's flying towards it, arms wide open. And he says, it's apparent you've never been to Earth before. Or you'd know a silly collection of threads can't hold... Hold me! And he struggles because the net has wrapped itself around them and the little fungal jellyfish type guys on tendrils are starting to swirl around them. And as a golden flash, as the energy net surrounds Superman and drops like a stone. Yeah, we see him plummeting earthwards in the next panel. And then in the next panel, we see it's completely crashed into the pavement. There's a sign in a building behind him that says Ard Company. I'm not sure what that means. But this panel is sort of split in two. We see the Superman of Earth 2 lying flat on the pavement, as I've just described. But then we also see the Superman of Earth 1 lying in the subway tracks like we saw earlier in the episode. And a big caption splits this and says... Already the barriers between the worlds are crumbling and an event unforeseen by Creator 2 occurs. Earth 1 Superman suffers exactly the same fate as his Earth 2 counterparts. Thus, his sudden sickness is explained to us, but not to his worried companions. We arrive at the top of page 12. Several hundred miles away, Dr. Midnight watches another extraterrestrial ease to the filthy asphalt of a back street alleyway. Yeah, it's a bit disturbing to find that after he's used the phone box, Dr. Midnight has gone back into the alleyway. I'm not going to speculate on what he's doing there, why he's hanging around alleyways in the middle of the night, who can say. But he does see the alien alighting, and he thinks... Superman called it exactly. There's my new playmate. He doesn't look tough, but we'll see. The next panel, Dr. Midnight has walked up behind the alien, put his hand on his shoulder, kind of friendly-like, and he says, Pardon me, you've hopefully come on a peaceful mission, and I'll be happy to release you as soon as you explain. But the alien turns on Dr. Midnight with a zock, punches at him, sending the dock falling backwards. Dr. Midnight thinks, So, he isn't peaceful. Fortunately, he isn't rugged either. Not a bad punch. About as good as a Golden Glover's second best haymaker. A Golden Glover's second best haymaker. That definitely sounds like a Springsteen B-side, doesn't it? Yep. It's like some <laughs> kind of metaphor for the collapse of the, the Midwest industrial section. I don't know. Definitely. Your thoughts may vary. <laughs> Dr. Midnight retaliates. This is, I'm, I'm loving this. It's very real. We get Dr. Midnight in action. So this is pretty cool. He has to sell those action figures exactly. somehow. Exactly. <laughs> Chuck kind of fights back in the next panel. With a, a fantastic punch sound effect, he sends the alien flying into some more dustbins. Take a drink. There's a clang as the lids go flying. Take another drink. And as the alien goes down, Dr. Midnight thinks, I'm somewhat advanced for the amateur class, though. Continuing the boxing chat, the alien seems to be slightly recovered in the final panel of page 12. Dr. Midnight stands over him saying, You're down, and I'll be delighted to put you out, if you insist. The alien, with its net casually prepared out of Dr. Midnight's line of sight, thinks, my Lord Creator 2 programmed my web snare for these annoying natives, as the braggart shall soon learn. And he hurls the net towards Dr. Midnight in the first panel of page 13. Dr. Midnight says, How? And he stumbles backwards, thinking, I've been suckered good. I can see perfectly in the dark. My eyes are natural infrared lenses. And with my goggles, I can see a normal light. Panel 2 shows the net colliding with Dr. Midnight, starting to wrap itself around them, and the little fungoid tendril guys are looming as well. Chuck continues to think, but that thing's radiating ultraviolet, blinding me, and wrapping itself around my windpipe. And he falls backwards in panel three, colliding with a couple of dustbins. Take a drink, listeners. Can't breathe. Can't stay conscious. Page 13 is rounded out by two panels, split down the middle by 
a wiggly caption. We see Dr. Midnight collapse backwards in the act of trying to remove the net from around his neck. And we see Batman in a similar pose. And the caption says, Again it happens. Dr. Midnight's closest Earth-1 equivalent, the Batman, falls victim to the unseen grip of the snare net. <laughs> Dr. Midnight's closest Earth-1 equivalent sounds like the name of a craft beer, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Alright, is it the usual? Yeah, give us a pint of Dr. Midnight's closest Earth 1 equivalent. That's the Earth 2 uh, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts yes, Club Band uh, title. Um... <laughs> we arrive at the top of page 14. Even as the valiant Doctor collapses, however, the flash blurs onto the scene. Yes, making his first appearance in what seems like ages, it's only blooming Jason Garrick. Fantastic. Zooming up. To this alleyway, he sees Dr. Midnight on his back with the net around his neck, the alien standing over him, a couple of scattered dustbins take a drink, and as he arrives on the scene, the Mercury-helmeted speedster thinks, The answering service said the duck was here, a mere nanosecond trip from my lab. And there he is, being whipped! I'll slow down till I scout the situation. Uh-huh. As Doc told the service, an off-worlder. Jay has spotted the blue... Weird faced, and he's got a proper good look at him here. He is grotesque with his antenna and his weird snarling expression and his weird pink cloak. Jay continues to think. Don't know exactly what he fights with, so I'll toss some confusion his way. And the next panel, Jay extends his arm as if he's going to shake hands. Greetings, friend. Want to be taken to my leader? And the alien thinks. Another Justice Society. And I have no more weapons. And the next few panels are terrific as Jay runs rings around the alien making him dizzy, and as he does so, the Flash says, Pardon me, you're looking in the wrong direction. I'm behind you. That is, in front. I mean on the left side, right side, back, front. Love that. Found panel on page 14. Not only for the fact that Jay's boots are yellow. It's a little colouring thing that happens every so often. I think it just looked good. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> the alien gets exasperated in the first panel of page 15 and says, Stand still, please! Jay's not having it as he zooms around, but we realise in this point, they're actually being watched on a screen by Creator 2, who's still sort of floating in midair on his spaceship. And he has a microphone and a cord, which is very interesting. So either it's karaoke night on his spaceship, or he's not quite as powerful as we thought. He still needs technology to communicate with his slaves. Very interesting. Creator 2 is saying, Attention, Nugget and Caramel. Your brother Kashu is having difficulties at planetary coordinate XX909-3rd-20th. dash dash The next panel shows... The aforementioned Nougat and Caramel, who must be a couple of the aliens, flying through the air and Creator 2's transmission coming through in the radio receiver that one of them's carrying. We hear his voice saying, Proceed to his assistance immediately. To hear is to hasten, splendid moulder of environments. We return to The Flash, panel 3, page 15, as he punches out the guy we now know is called Kasu, and with a quop sound effect, he goes flying as Jay says, now that I've got your little head spinning, I'll stop it, as you stop Dr. Midnight. Panel 4, the Flash is down on his knees beside Dr. Midnight, reaching towards him, and he thinks, The duck's pulse is still strong. Apparently that glorified spider web is keeping him in dreamland. I'd better not touch it until I find out. In the background, we see the other two blue aliens arriving, zooming down towards Jay, each of them carrying an energy net. One of them cries, Attack! Jay whirls in the next panel, thinking, More off-worlders! And they want to do unto me as they did unto Midnight. Indeed, we see one of the aliens unleashing the energy net. And Jay takes these heels and finds a panel on page 15. He runs off with the energy net, following him. Flash is thinking, I'll be darned. The net is chasing me. Okay, I haven't had a real workout in years. 
First panel of page 16 shows that Jay's actually been chased by two of the energy nets. He thinks, The other nets gotten into the act. If they were alive, I'd say they were trying the old squeeze play. I can't shake them. Jay takes drastic measures in the next panel. So just vanish by vibrating between the molecules of the pavement into the underground conduits. And we see, as he vibrates into the ground, that the two energy nets collide with each other. Jay's thoughts continue as he re-emerges in the next panel. And out again. Looks like my would-be captors are all wrapped up in each other. That's a terrible pun, but we see the energy nets down on the ground. Hey, he seems to have stopped them so far. He continues to think in the next panel. A bit of hasty wall hopping puts me in range of Pug Ugly's pal. And and a very, to me, it seems Johnny Quick style move. It looks like he's run up the side of the building, mm-hmm. using his momentum to hurl himself even further. With a quack, he punches out Mars Bar or Milky Way or whatever he was called. And then Jay thinks, The third one's too high for this stunt. But I have lots more, like, for instance, spinning fast enough to cause a violent downdraft. Should suck him within fist range. But then something odd starts to happen in this panel. Jay starts to turn and turn and twist around to create the downdraft that he's talking about. But then another figure seems to appear through a pink haze beside him. Jay thinks, Huh? What now? Some sort of spook forming a spook that looks exactly like... Exactly like the other Flash. Only he's half-materialised. I wonder if we can communicate. Yeah, sure enough, there's a kind of ghostly version of the Barry Allen Flash taking form in front of Jay. Jay has successfully made it back to the ground in the second panel of page 17 and tries to talk to his Earth-1 equivalent, saying, Flash! Barry Allen, can you hear me? See me! Then he thinks, No answer. Is this a trick or an hallucination? Jay hasn't been paying attention. A caption says, So engrossed is the scarlet speedster that he does not see the snares untangle and glide swiftly toward him. Until... Yep, the energy nets with their weird fungal tendril guys have caught up with Jay and started to wrap themselves around them. He thinks, They got me! Can't loosen them! As the strands tighten, the air around the struggling hero shimmers and all colour drains from him. see Jay struggling with the energy nets, then the caption continues. Exactly as it drains from his otherworldly alter ego. And we see the Flash of Earth 1 reacting similarly. Then the final caption for page 17 says. And with the same dire results. Barry turns a funny colour and pitches forward. Pages 18 and 19 are definitely going in the socials. It's a big double spread showing at the heart of it, Red Tornado, still surrounded by a burst of energy. A caption says, Elsewhere, on both planes of existence, wraith-like figures congeal, shimmer. As the dimensions brush together, people momentarily glimpse duplicate selves they never knew existed. And a fear chilling as a tomb grips them. And we see across the two pages... Four vignettes, basically, sort of repeated. People in payment, basically, just sort of seeing themselves. There's a woman in green who sees herself with a slightly different haircut. There's a guy in a purple suit who sees a version of himself with a slightly different haircut and moustache and a slightly different shade of suit. There's a guy in a hat in a brown suit seeing a slightly different version of himself. And then there's another guy with sweat back green hair in a blue suit who sees his obvious parallel replica. And then a closing caption on page 19 says... While in the centre of the impending disaster, a motionless red android sleeps and visits destruction upon five billion human beings. Yep, the harmonizer plate which they stuck in Red Tornado's head is obviously having the desired effect. We arrive at the top of page 20. The vibration matrices are nearly aligned. Within 24 of the local hours, they will lock. 
and I shall have the energy release I need with no loss to the civilized universe. Yep, we're back with Crater 2 on his spaceship. He's looking at a screen which has some wibbly-wobbly stuff on it. I don't know if it's supposed to be the two Earths being split by a void. It's not very clear. But he has a blue-intended lackey with him who says, But the living creatures! Oh, splendid Creator 2, will not they be lost? Certainly! However, I have studied their history. A chronicle of war, slavery, brutality, ugliness. Surely civilization loses nothing from the destruction of such barbarians. He's got a point, quite frankly. Very moody shot of the Creator 2 there, looking very, very, very scary. Wouldn't want to meet him on a dark night. There's a caption for the next panel. Even as Creator 2 blithely dismisses the whole of humanity, a group of the barbarians meets. Yes, this is a very interesting panel for a couple of reasons. We see the assembled ranks of the Justice Society of America, minus obviously the folk who've been taken out. So I'm going to start going clockwise from the bottom right-hand corner of the panel. We see Dr. Fate, Mr. Terrific, Green Lantern, Wildcat, our man, complete with his back to us, What's supposed to be the Atom, but he's been miscoloured as Starman. Ah. Hawkman, wearing his sort of yellow cowl helmet with no wings. Am I right in thinking this is the proper debut of the Earth 2 Batman? <sighs> Actually, it's the first time we've seen him in the JLA-JSA uh, story, isn't it? It's the first time in the JLA-JSA. Because we debated yeah. in the mm-hmm. in the Sergeant Rock story. Yeah, mm-hmm. About, you know, yeah. decided mm-hmm. it probably was. Okay, so it's the first daily JC. But this is the yeah. first contemporary, mm-hmm. present day appearance of the Earth yeah. 2 Batman. Interesting. Check your mm-hmm. price guides, kids. Sat next to him is the Golden Age Sandman, standing behind him is Starman. Johnny Thunder's there. So is Wonder Woman. And so is the Spectre. We haven't seen a Spectre for a few weeks. It's nice to have him back. Starman is saying, As I see it, we have three problems. Johnny Thunder says, Right on, Starman. We gotta locate Duck Midnight, the Flash O, and the ever loving Soupy. Exactly, Johnny Thunder. Dr. Midnight's message sounded urgent, says Wonder Woman, and the Spectre contributes, Then we must battle whatever attacked them and find out the cause of those illusions people are seeing. Dr. Fate replies, One moment, Spectre. Has it occurred to you that the visions may not be illusions? Johnny Thunder replies, Oh, come on, Dark Fate. I mean, what else? That I cannot answer, but we should not dismiss such phenomena without investigation. I like the little halo they've given Dr. Fate there. It makes him look slightly impatient mm-hmm. towards Johnny. It's very yes. effective. As Mr. Terrific looks on. Yes. Mr. Terrific is behind Dr. Fate at this point. He looks very serious, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. He's, he's obviously... He's contemplating his lines for later. He's, he's thinking deep thought. He's thinking... Who's going to do my voice in this comic and who's, what kind of accent are they going to give me? He's terrified at Prospect. He's thinking, who's my Earth One equivalent? Yeah. Yeah, because we never got a... I don't know. I'm sure. I'm sure that Multiverse Historian. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he has postulated in such things in the past. I'm ah, sure I've read okay. something about a kind of master of all things sort of Interesting. equivalent. I can't remember who he said. You'll have to tell us again. I wish I knew your name. Anyway, how cool to see... Batman and Our Man of Earth 2 together in a story for the first time since one of the early issues of All-Star Comics. Yes. Just saying. Very true. You know, just saying. That's the first time we've seen Mr. Terrific with the Batman of Earth 2. Yep. Ever, probably. definitely. Uh, That's really, Mm -hmm. really interesting. Mm -hmm. Anyway, panel 2, page 21. Starman's had enough of all this chat. As the other JSAers look on, he flies off, saying, You investigate away. For me, action. I'm going to hunt up our missing pals. A slow dissolve. While in the secret sanctuary of the Justice League... Yeah, we're back on the satellites. Hawkman welcomes Black Canary, Green Arrow and Green Lantern 
safely return from their sojourn into the real world via Neil Adams and Denny O'Neill. Hawkman is saying as they arrive, What kept you three? I sent for you nearly six hours ago. Green Arrow replies, Well, pardon us. Can I do anything to square myself? Brush your wings? Shine your beak? Green Lantern interjects. Save the sarcasm, Green Arrow. We're getting our message by way of the Guardians and Oa these days. It takes a while. Speaking of which, you'd better have a bloody good reason for dragging us up here. This is a very perturbed Arrow, and Hawkman, who's not having any of it, replies, I have Green Arrow. Superman, Batman and Flash have been mysteriously struck down. And the Atom continues... And I think I just doped out why. Final panel of page 21 shows the Atom standing with a big paper printout from a computer and he's saying, I've been feeding data into the computer, including the day, month and time, and those news reports we've been getting about ghosts appearing. The answer is Earth 2. Something pulling it into our dimension or vice versa. Green Lantern replies in the first panel of page 22. Your theory is easy to check, Adam. The Guardians temporarily restored my power ring to full strength so I can cross the gulf and see what's what. Very obliging of the Guardians Mm -hmm. to completely disregard what's happening in his own book and do whatever is necessary for this Justice League story. Well, Denny's writing both, so it's fine. Yeah, it helps. It's kind of like when they tried to reconcile what was happening in Torture with Doctor Who and didn't quite. Anyway, (laughs) the next few panels show Green Lantern out in space flying around the satellite investigating. And as he does all this pirouetting and tumbling around in space, he thinks. It feels good to do this kind of thing again. Fly through space, command nearly limitless power. The whole superhero bit, but I can't forget that my commitment is to the injustices on Earth. And if I have to pay for that commitment by relinquishing much of my ring's capacity, so be it. This is where the gap between dimensions should be, but it's not. Yeah, we see him projecting a big beam from his from his ring through a sort of purpley pink cloud. But obviously, it isn't what he's expecting. I can't get through. The force of my power beam is cut into pieces like light in a prism. Yeah, and this is probably the issue that gave Jeff Johns all these ideas, isn't it? <laughs> um, we will be, we will be. I would have three less tattoos if it hadn't happened. Anyway, we see indeed, as Hal says, his light beam all being filtered out into other colours. He then continues. I can only guess that the dimensions are so close they're touching. And somehow the gap has been plugged. And he thinks that as he flies back towards the satellite. And after Green Lantern tells his story... Back inside the satellite, Hawkman, Canary, Arrow and Green Lantern looking very glum. I must just mention though the preceding pages, full advert for a giant life-size moon monster. That and lots of other stuff's free when you join the Monster Fan Club for one dollar. So there you go. I'd buy that for a dollar. It's over six feet tall. Listeners, did you join the Monster Fan Club? Please write in and let us know. Peter will tell you how to do that later on. So Mm -hmm. we're back inside the satellite. Everyone's standing in line. The Atom's standing in front of his printouts again. And he's saying, I've been playing around with the computer readouts, trying to make sense of them. Understand, nobody's written a book yet on this stuff. The effects of dimensions on each other. But if I had to make a stab at an answer, I'd say there's some link between us and Earth 2. In the foreground of panel 2, page 23, we get close up of Black Canary looking very... Very thoughtful as she says, I don't understand. The Atom continues, With our biggest gun, Superman out of action, we're in trouble. In fact, the worlds will collide in less than a day. And there's nothing we can do about it except wait for the last big bang. Unless we can find and eliminate the link. Green Arrow says, No way of doing that. But Canary says, But there is. We know where the link is and who. You said it has to be something. Or some person common to each Earth. 
and we all know that only one person qualifies. Myself. I was born on Earth 2, lived there most of my life, but I've been on Earth 1 for almost a year, so my body must be the common factor, Quinaro says. Do us a favour and stow the nonsense. That's not very nice, is it? The Atom says. Wait, I think she has a point, Hawkman says. Assuming Black Canary is right, what can we do? And we close this issue with a close-up of Black Canary in tears holding her head in her hands as she says, Isn't that obvious? I must cease to exist. I must die. And the final caption, JLA82 says, Thus the stage is set for a mistake. A mistake certain to cause the most monumental tragedy of all time. Will it come to pass? Only our next issue knows for sure. Pizzi, tell us about the cover to issue 83. Again, we have the Justice League of America shield at the top. A dark black cover border surrounds a small image. Down one side, we have the roll call for the Justice League of America. And it says, Superman. Batman. Flash. Black Canary. Green Lantern. Atom. Green Arrow. And down the right-hand side, we have the roll call for the Justice Society, which is... Spectre. Doctor Fate. Wonder Woman. Our Man. Johnny Thunder. Thunderbolt. Star Man. And in between those two columns of heroes' heads, we have a scene outside a crypt. On one side we have Superman looking startled, on the other side we have Batman of Earth-1 looking startled, and Doctor Fate appears to be doing some sort of candlelit ritual. It's amazing. This is one of my favourite comic covers of all time. Full back tattoo of this one at some point. You know, it's brilliant. And he's calling forth the spectre from this tomb. And as he does so, he says, I summon a dead man to save the life of Earth. It's spectacular. I love how the spectre looks like he's been pulled out against his will, almost. Mm -hmm. As you see, it's... It's very atmospheric, the shadow casting this perfect circle, the the looming gravestones, the moody sky in the background. It's gorgeous. Mm. There's no full moon, sadly, but there probably isn't room. (laughs) One good thing about this cover is because they're using this box out thing at the moment, Mm-hmm. There is room for the full illustration. Like if that had been a full bleed, the logo would have had to have been over Batman yeah, or over the spirit. Yeah. It wouldn't have worked it so mm-hmm. it is very clear. And do you know what? I like the accidental use of our man's colour scheme in yes. the logo. It works, it really pops. Uh, it's fantastic. Black, yellow and red, it's yeah. tremendous. This is beautiful, this cover. I cannot wait to share the, the foreign market editions with you on the socials. We'll tell you about the socials later in the episode, obviously. So, without any further ado, issue 83 of Just League of America, published on the 28th of July, 1970. We open page one. A caption says, All things that exist are related, though they be flung farther than the mind can imagine, and what touches one touches all. You doubt? Then listen. Listen to the words of Creator 2, Master World Builder from a distant galaxy. When Earth 1 and Earth 2 come together, their destruction will release the energy I need to make a perfectly splendid new planet. You see Creator 2 addressing one of his blue-antennaed lackeys. He's probably called Marathon or Snickers or Twix or something. I don't know. Anyway, the caption continues for panel 2. And to the words of the lovely Black Canary. We see Canary, very moody lighting. She's lit from underneath, casting long, deep shadows. She's contemplating the, the cosmic catastrophe that's taking place, and she thinks, I must be the link. The reason our separate Earths are about to collide. It's obvious that I must die. 
Now look upon one who does not speak. The android Red Tornado asleep in the gap between the dimensions, placed there by aliens who caused the fame and justice society to ask, Where valor fails, will magic triumph. Great panel showing Red Tornado in the heart of the cosmic, what do you call it, radiating yellow and green energy. It's a lovely pink comet seems to fly past. Very, very effective and a nice, succinct recap of some things that are going on, but very helpfully, of course, some of the JSA will remind us of what's been going on in part one. We hope you listened last week. Gav certainly did, didn't you, Gav? Absolutely. Were you happy mm-hmm. with how it turned out? I thought it was great. Excellent. <laughs> first caption then in the first panel of page two. A spaceship orbiting Earth 2. Yes, we're inside Creator 2's conveyance. One of his lackeys is saying, The Matrix correctors are properly placed on the planet's surface. Oh, grand shaper of habitats. Excellent. Our task nears completion. However, there is one difficulty. The terrestrials called the Justice Society have been most annoying. Thrice they have interfered with my work. And the operation now becomes delicate. I can brook no further meddling. Ergo, I have decided to attack the Justice Society in its secret sanctuary. I launch the remaining snare nets, each programmed to cancel the powers of these extraordinary earthlings. And as the antennaed lackey looks on, we see the screen in front of him as Creator 2 flicks a switch and we see some snare nets. You remember them, sort of golden with little weird fungi tentacles coming off them, hurtling through space towards the Earth's surface. And at that precise moment... Presumably, we're in Justice Society headquarters. We can see Superman of Earth 2, Doctor Midnight and the Flash of Earth 2, all stretched out on a tabletop, being examined by, and I'll go clockwise from the bottom left-hand corner, Green Lantern of Earth 2, whose chest symbol is basically the same as the Green Lantern of Earth 1's at this point. I'm miming the chest symbol for Gal's benefit. <laughs> is it working? It's very well, Thank yes. you. Yep, rather than the, the ornately fashioned lantern which we had in the past, they've gone for the much easier to draw and much longer for me to describe symbol which represents what Hal Jordan has. Standing next to him is Wonder Woman looking very concerned. Wonder Woman in her traditional stylings, whereas her Earth One counterpart at this point was dressed very much in contemporary clothing. Doctor Fate is there, Our Man is there, Starman is there, and Johnny Thunder. Doctor Fate is proclaiming. Policemen found Superman, Doctor Midnight and Flash all seemingly dead. Yet my occult probes detect the faintest spark of life still within them. It is obvious we are faced with dire peril. We cannot rest until we have discovered it, sought it out, and destroyed it. Johnny Thunder says in the first panel of page three, I don't know, Dark Fate. Anything that can KO old soups ain't gonna have any trouble with the rest of us. Such defeatist talk is unworthy of you, Johnny Thunder. This exchange is interrupted by Starman who says, Hey, do you hear that? Sounds like a wrecking crew. The wrecking crew, obviously, as we all know, was the name of that very talented group of session musicians who operated in America in the 1960s, playing on tracks by the people such as the Birds and the Beach Boys. Amongst a number, of course, was the legendary Glenn Campbell. But this is not the Glenn Campbell podcast. The caption for panel two says, Before Starman can complete his utterance, Creator 2 snare nets smash through brick, steel, stone, plaster, and... With a giant crash sound effect, the basically burst through the roof of the headquarters, rubble falling down towards everyone, and the, I nearly said hair nets for some reason, and the energy nets fly down towards the Justice Society members. Johnny points to the sky and says, Look like the troubles come to us. Dr. Fate says, We are challenged. Let us respond. Starman says, 
Okay, Doc, I'll do that. And give that thing a double dose of my Star Rod's Pulsar Rays. Star Rod's Pulsar Rays, not like Iron Man's Repulsor Rays at all. No. It was a zap as Ted, well, zaps the, the hairnet that's flying towards him with his cosmic rod. However... Huh? It's tossing him right back in my face! Oh. Yes, the energy net seems to, if you pardon my repetition, repulse the blast back at Starman. Significantly, you see him drop his cosmic rod. Oh, no. And then in the final panel, page three, the net starts to wind itself around Starman. Johnny Thunder looks on and confirms, Like I figured, we're fighting something really big time. Starman's been wrapped up like a mackerel. Which I don't want happening to me. I'd better summon my magic thunderbolt the quickest. And he says out loud, Say you! Hooray! And a caption runs out page three saying, Johnny Thunder's pronunciation of the Badnesian hex words, say you, that give him complete control over the genie-like thunderbolts. And in the first panel of page four, the thunderbolt arrives with a pop! And he says, Here I am! So what's doing? You want something? Johnny says, Of course, we're being attacked! In the background we can see our man and Wonder Woman and Green Lantern reacting to the energy nets flying around them. Thunderbolt takes all this in and says, Ha, ha, hum, at least Wonder Woman's having a hard time. And in the foreground of the panel two, the Amazonian princess is tangling with one of the energy nets. Oh my goodness, she says, My bracelets, I can't keep them apart. And we all know what happens when she gets... So does this mean that the energy nets are male if she's being bound by the energy net? That's interesting, isn't it? Sure. Okay, the next panel, one of the energy nets is, Oh, it's the little fungoid antenna guys. They're flying towards her. They look horrible. And Wonder Woman, with her bracelets... Stuck together, thinks, I'm handcuffed and helpless. That's really getting her back to her roots. In the next panel, in the foreground, our man is popping one of his miracle pills and very helpfully the Thunderbolt tells us, But our man's taking a hand. He's swallowing his miracle pill. That'll keep him super energized for a full 60 minutes. And here we go. Our man leaps into action, thinking, The pill doesn't give me the ability to fly like Superman, but I can leap like a dervish. Shouldn't be too difficult to stay out of the thing's way till I dope out a counterattack. He leaps over the energy net in the first panel of page five, thinking, Ha! It missed again! I can't imagine how gizmos like this beat Superman, Doctor Midnight, and Flash. As menaces, they're strictly amateur class. Now, the next panel's interesting. There's a clock on the wall behind our man, and he seems to be starting to vibrate, and it almost looks as though the tendril of the energy net is watching him. Our man thinks, Now what? I feel funny. Like everything's being speeded up. In the next panel, he's positively vibrating as he thinks, My heart! Beating like a trip hammer, my blood racing. And he's almost a blur in panel four as he thinks, I understand. Somehow, the time I exist in, relative to the rest of the universe, has accelerated. My hour will pass in a space of a normal second. And he's down. Our man is down for the count in the next panel. Final panel of page five. Johnny and the Thunderbolt observe him being completely wrapped up in the net. Johnny says, Our man's dumped you. Dumb magic thunderbolt, do something! Like what, Dunderhead? Just tell me, you're supposed to be the boss! And at that point, maddeningly, we cut to the Earth-1 universe and back to the Justice League satellite. First panel of page 6 is captioned, While the battle rages on Earth-2, a quieter scene is occurring at the Justice League satellite, 22,300 miles above Earth-1. Quieter, but no less intense. This is hilarious. Unintentionally hilarious. Left of the panel, Black Canary is leaning in on like you know a table or tabletop or surface, looking very very sad. 
Green Arrow and the Atom and Green Lantern are all behind her. And it kind of looks as though Green Arrow is sat down wearing fishnet stockings. It's obviously meant to be Black Canary's legs and she's leaning over to her right, but it's very <laughs> unfortunate. I think we'll put that one on the socials. What do you think, Peter? Most definitely. Yes, it might even so, be our um, new Facebook cover picture. <laughs> um, not that we have you know, anything wrong to say about whether or not what Green Arrow wants to wear on his legs. You know, It's an interesting new look in men's fashion. As she laments, Black Canary is saying... Can't you understand? When I cross the dimension barrier, I must have upset the cosmic balances or something. I'm responsible for the chaos. Me? Arrow's not having it. Can that talk, bird lady? I'm never gonna believe. The atom interrupts. Cool it, GA, because on the basis of the evidence we have, I think she's right. Listen, Tiny. If you imagine for one lousy second I'll let anyone harm her, you're playing out of your microcephalic skull. Maybe we don't have to hurt Black Canary. Green Lantern joins the conversation and continues. Look, we know there are an infinite number of existences, countless worlds like our own existing simultaneously. I may be wrong, but it seems that we could put the lady in another dimension, one where her vibrations would be harmonious and harmless. I like how they're including Black Canary in the discussion. My sister's going to have a fit when she listens to this. There's <laughs> a nice long shot of them all in the, the control room of the satellite here. The atom perched on Green Arrow's shoulder pipes up with Right on, Lantern. Yeah. How are we going to find those other dimensions? By looking. I can use my power ring. At full strength, I can search, scour the space-time matrices. And Green Lantern doesn't hang about. First panel of page seven. It's an exterior shot of the satellite. We can see Green Arrow and Black Canary peeping out of a porthole as Hal flies out into space, saying, Keep the faith, people. I'll be back as soon as I have a report. And he flies off into the void, thinking, It'll tear Green Arrow apart if I send the canary away. They've been through a lot together these last months. But it's got to be done. The combined populations of the Twin Earths will die. Horribly. Now he seems to notice something in the next panel. Hey, that looks like a hole of some sort. A rend in the fabric of the cosmos. Might be just what the Doctor ordered. If I can ease through. And we see him flying towards a slightly bent yellow and green sort of stretch of light. It's very interesting. He discovers in the next panel. Great Guardians! The Red Tornado! The Justice Society's pet android. I can't be sure, but I'd bet my ring against a tin whistle that he's positioned precisely between Earths 1 and 2. And we also see in this panel, there's a blue shifting void in front of Green Lantern, but beyond that, held in the green and yellow void, it's Red Tornado. A very moody close-up of Hal Jordan as Green Lantern rounds out page 7 as he thinks. And that means... Reddy's the link, not Black Canary! I've got to reach him, knock him loose. And in the first panel of page eight, Green Lantern tries to fly towards Reddy. He seems to be blocked, cut off somehow. And he thinks, Blast! The patterns of the cosmos have shifted. I'm cut off. I've got to find another gap. Got to! Yeah, so somehow he's not been able to reach Red Tornado. Panel two of page eight is captioned. While Green Lantern penetrates into the bizarre realities of space-time relativity... The bewildered residents of a large eastern Earth-1 city are engaged in more normal pursuits, like trying to learn what the devil is going on. We see the Earth-1 people that Pizzi's just mentioned standing in the street looking obviously in the window of a television shop and a bespectacled newscaster is saying, Scientists admit to being baffled by the strange events of the past few days. There are explosions in Nova Scotia, an unusual volcanic eruption in the Pacific. Most inexplicable is the periodic appearance of ghosts. And in this panel, we see why Hawkman wasn't part of the conversation on the satellite because he's come down to Earth to see what's going on. We see him standing at the back of the crowd, listening to the news broadcast, and he thinks, I figured I could do more good down here than in the satellite. Normally, I'd attract a lot of attention if I showed myself in public, but everyone's so dismayed. They don't even see me. 
I've got to admit that I am pretty dismayed myself. I can't imagine the cause of these mini-catastrophes. The great panel here, he's having a little think to himself. He's stroking his chin, very visibly going, hmm. In the foreground of the little panel, there's a freckled, stripy t-shirt, blue jacket-wearing, red-haired kid who has spotted something unearthly. He cries, look! And as we arrive on page nine, a caption says, Again it happens. The dimensions brush momentarily lock, and for a mind-chilling instant, the people of Earth 2 waver into sights. And similar to what we had last week, you see a guy in a blue suit meeting himself, wearing an identical blue suit. It's kind of briefcase. Another bolder, older gentleman in Broughton spotting his other self. There's a lady in green who looks behind her and sees another version. There's another lady in pink who sees herself again. And two little boys, both wearing yellow, who again spot themselves. The captioning for page nine continues. They are more solid than in previous appearances. More real. And, for that reason, all the more terrifying. They awaken a million ageless, nameless dreads buried deep in the human soul. Panic ravages the crowd like some maniacal beast. And it is to be said, there is expressions of fear and such like on the faces of the people that we can see. This must be terrifying. Mm. Anyway, that page, first panel of page 10 is captioned. Blindly, heedlessly, the citizens flee. Yes, one we see one elderly lady in a wheelchair. It's obviously been far too much for her to be confronted by herself. She's wheeling herself away, but she seems to be going straight into oncoming traffic. Hawkman is taken to the air and he sees this and thinks, That old woman, she'll be smashed unless I can reach her. Yank her clear. Very dynamic panel of the winged wonder flying overhead as the woman crosses the road with a large car racing towards her. He doesn't seem to have heard of brakes, whoever's driving his vehicle. In the nick of time, Hawkman grabs the lady from her chair as the car strikes it and bears her aloft. Made it, with not a second to spare. And he continues saying out loud to the old lady, Easy, ma'am. You're okay. And then he thinks, She's okay, but I wonder how many incidents like that are happening in places where there aren't any flying Thanagarians to help. It's easier thought than said, isn't it? (laughs) In the next panel, however, suddenly Hawkman is afflicted. He throws his head back, his hands come up to his neck and he says, I'm I'm choking, just like Batman, passing out for no reason. Then the caption for the final panel of page 10 says, No reason, Hawkman? No, for your Earth 2 counterpart has just fallen prey to Creator 2's diabolical weapon. Yes, I like this one. It's not quite as stylized as the previous issue's depictions of the parallel heroes being affected. There's just a little jaggedy blue line, but we see that our Hawkman of Earth 1 is down on the ground and that Carter Hall, Hawkman of Earth 2, has been surrounded by one of the energy nets. The tendrils are floating around. Helpfully, they've left his, his head and shoulders free, so that's quite good. Not going to suffocate. The caption for the first panel of page 11. Nor is Hawkman alone among the defeated. For a mere 15 minutes, the Justice Society has struggled, yet, in that quarter-hour span, the nets have bested all but three of the members. Yes, we see that the only Justice Society members left standing are Dr. Fate, who's actually floating in Madeira at this point, Green Lantern, and Johnny Thunder, who still is a Thunderbolt, so is that technically fourth, given the fact that Thunderbolt and Johnny were separate in the the on-cover roll call? Hmm. Anyway, what's interesting here, we'll make note of this, because we always have, is Dr. Fate is still using his jagged lightning bolt to focus his magic. No sign of the Egyptian stuff yet. He's using his magic, striking a couple of bolts at one of the energy nets. Green Lantern is struggling himself, and he's thinking, Dark Fate and the Thunderbolts seem to be holding their own, but no more. They're neither winning nor losing. And I've stayed loose by ducking and dodging. I can't seem to press an attack. 
Maybe I need some elbow room. And he turns and with a bloomp, he blasts the wall of wherever their headquarters is at this point in time. And he <laughs> continues to think, So I'll take this fracas outside. Through the hole in the wall, two of the energy nets follow him. And Alan thinks, Here come the whatever they are. They're right behind me. These things must have studied military tactics. They're trying to flank me, which works great against a gun or anything that shoots in only one direction at a time. But my power ring can hit a thousand directions if need be. Yep, and we see multiple blasts of green energy emanating from the power ring and flying out and striking the energy nets that are trying to attack the Emerald Gladiator. Alan thinks in the first panel of page 12. The beams aren't affecting them. Or are they? The things are changing. Yes, they seem to be losing the shape of nets and it looks like they're turning into tree trunks, to be honest. They're going sort of brown and thicker. Alan thinks in the next panel. Changing their very substance. Yeah, they're definitely thickening. No sign of nets at all. In fact, they almost seem to be forming the shape of cages. Alan thinks over the next two panels. Changing to wood. The one material my ring can't combat. A wooden cage. It's got me. Like an animal in a zoo. And we see that the two nets basically formed into two halves of a cage have approached him from either side and fenced him in. He's completely trapped in the next panel as he thinks, I'm cut! Helpless! And the caption says, Similarly, between Earths... And we're back with our Hal Jordan, who's suddenly surrounded by a little blue electrical aura. He looks very panicked as he thinks, I'm cut! Helpless! And a tiny caption tells us that we are continued in the second page following. This is very exciting, listeners. I don't know about you. We're still with Hal as we hit the top of page 13 as he tries to struggle free and thinks, I can't move and I don't know why. It's like I'm inside an invisible cage. Just when I'm inside of my objective. I don't dare use my ring long distance without a clear idea of the nature of the enemy. He gets a nice dramatic close-up in the next panel. Here in the interstices between alternate realities, I can't trust my senses or even my ring. So, I failed. Miserably. Some terrible foe is toying with humanity and the toy is about to break forever. The next caption says... And in the JLA satellite... Very moody shot of Green Arrow, the Atom and Black Canary. Black Canary's hair looks immaculate. She's obviously just been to the salon. Green Arrow is very moody in silhouette. The Atom's in silhouette. Obviously, we don't really want to see what Ollie's thinking at this point. But he's saying... The lantern's been gone over an hour. He should have been back by now. If he's coming back at all. The Atom says... Yeah, I guess we gotta assume he's lost. According to our computer, the alternate worlds will collide in about 30 minutes. He's sat down with his head in his hands. The next panel looking very sad as he says, We've got just that long to come up with an answer. And frankly, I'm stumped. And off camera, Canary says, You know the solution, both of you. I must leave. I must cease to be. Green Arrow says in the next panel, If you're saying what I think you're saying, don't. I appreciate your concern, but my life doesn't count. It won't hurt. I'll get into the transporter. Only instead of setting the controls for Earth, I'll set them for nowhere. I'll simply cease. And we're outside the satellite here. We can see various bits of space junk flying. It's very, very quite pretty panel, actually. As Canary continues, My atoms, my spirit, will drift among the stars, eternally. In a way, it'll be beautiful. But a very angry Granado says, In a pig's ear, maybe I'm old-fashioned, but I like being alive, being flesh and blood, and so do you. And the Atom says, We don't have to make a final decision yet. He points at a clock in the next panel. He's still perched on Green Arrow's shoulder. I like this. Give it another 20 minutes. If we don't come up with another idea, well, we'll decide then. The first caption then. 
for the first panel of page 15. Even as the atom puts a time limit on the Black Canary's life, the remaining Justice Society members continue their valiant struggle. We see Johnny in pain. Obviously, he's been struck with energy now. It's not been a good time. Thunderbolt is pained. Dr. Fate is gesturing. Johnny says, Can't you do any more and keep him away? Dumb Thunderbolt! Listen, champ, you want to fight? Go ahead! Arguing amongst ourselves will avail us nothing. We have need of help. And there is but one source for it. Prepare yourselves. Though my Eldritch powers are weakened, still I may be able to teleport us. Johnny and the Thunderbolt look very trepidatious. I feel a bit trepidatious myself. The caption for the next panel then. A surge of occult energy and the trio hurls halfway across the continent. Yes, this is a great panel of Thunderbolt and Johnny and Dr. Fate basically being borne by a large flash of yellow energy through some nice, pretty, twisting colours. If there's room, I might post that one on the socials or I might stick it in a tweet or something. You never know. Caption for the next panel. To materialise in a graveyard. A full moon looms in the background as the heroes stand and look around. And Johnny says... Hey, Doc, if this is your notion of a funny... I do not jest, Johnny. We have business here. Full Moon hangs over a particular crypt that Dr. Fate is walking towards when he says... Hear me, O ghost who walks. I summon you. Hear the request of Dr. Fate. And from the crypt emerges and looms above them the haunting form of the spectre, who wails... I hear and heed. How can the spectre serve? And a little footnote caption says, Note, the reason the spectre abides in this crypt may not be related now. Rest assured that the story is fearsome indeed. And we're going to come back to that in the discussions at the end of the episode because we have a lot to say. Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now, we pass two very, very interesting pages. They're basically a survey that DC Comics are carrying out. They want to know what their listeners' opinions are on how they spend their time on the types of things that their stories should feature. For example, national problems, hobbies, romance, space flights, black people, pollution. Obviously, they're wanting to find out what people are thinking of the new social realism they're bringing to some of their comics. Their terminology, not ours, incidentally. Yes. Very, very interesting as a social snapshot. A full moon looms in the background in the first panel of page 16 as the spectre now fully formed stands in front of the Thunderbolt, Johnny and Dr. Fate, and the spectre says... I have observed the peril which besets the mortal plane, Johnny says. Hooray for you! Why didn't you do something? I could not, until summoned. Such are the terms of my imprisonment in yon tomb. Have you a plan? Yes. You have been combating a science far beyond any dreamed of by humanity. And you've tasted defeat because you fought that science on its own terms. I see. Then you suggest we resort to the occult. Makes a kind of sense. We'd be hassling him on our own turf, so to speak. We must hurry. We have no more than seconds before creation as we know it is engulfed in a bottomless abyss. And then the final panel of page 16, very, very detailed. I like this. There's a headstone in the foreground that says rest in peace and a very detailed tree branch. It's lovely. Almost a callback to the Spectre's ongoing series, this page. Mm, yeah. Very, very nice. Thunderbolt, Dr. Fate and the Spectre take to the sky, leaving Johnny standing underneath a full moon. As they fly off, Dr. Fate says, Where valour fails, may magic triumph. And as he waves them off, Johnny says, Luck, guys. <laughs> Doesn't wish them good luck or bad luck. That's nope, just luck. So, we arrive. First panel, page 17. Together, the mystic trio flashes upward. En route, the spectre explains Creator 2's scheme and... Cracking shot of spectre, Dr. Fate and the Thunderbolt hurtling through space towards Creator 2's spaceship. Amazing. Spectre is saying, There is the foe's stronghold. This you must attack, 
penetrate his defences. Check's back, and how are you going to keep busy? I journey to nether space, where I hope to erect a barrier between the enroaching Earths. To your task, and farewell. And it almost looks like he's swimming away from Dr. Fate yes. and the boat who are watching him go. Mm. Panel three. Well, very helpfully, the spectre thinks about who he has seen as he approaches what he calls the nether space. There is Green Lantern, victim of Creator 2. And beyond, the piteous Red Tornado, a still greater victim. I cannot tarry to aid that courageous duo. My destiny lies further. And very helpfully, the ghostly guardian explains what he's up to in this final panel of page 17. For I must block the dimensions with the ectoplasm that is my body. I must use the stuff of my very being. And the spectre is stretching himself out between the two Earths which are shown to almost be colliding. And what's actually quite interesting is that you can see the respective moons of each Earth. So if you feel like it and if you're playing along this week, you can take two drinks. A caption helpfully here backs up what I've just said. The Astral Avenger grows, thins, stretches thousands of miles to become a narrow thread, white against the darkness of infinity. Gosh, I hope this ends well for the Spectre, but I fear the worst. We arrive on page 18, the caption for the first panel. And an alien craft. Oh, we haven't seen him for ages. It's Creator 2, one of his lackeys. The lackey is saying, Oh, Death Sculptor of Universes, are we ready? Almost. Observe the matrix indicator. And this is interesting because Creator 2 is pointing to a reading on the wall which shows a green circle and a red circle. And he continues in the next panel explaining what they are. When the red meets the green, the astral planes will be in alignment. Then I need only press this button, and these Earths will vanish in a burst of energy. Oh my goodness. And at this point, the lackey behind him interrupts and says, Maker of places, observe! And Creator 2 turns to a screen and sees Dr. Fate and Thunderbolt. He says, Ah, the last of the Justice Society. They must have eluded the snare nets. But no matter, though I admire their courage, I will destroy them. Battle stations! Fire disruptor beams! The final action-packed panel of page 18, I don't think Dr. Fate has looked better in any story we've done so far, quite frankly. He looks very dynamic. Dr. Fate and Thunderbolt being struck by the red disruptor beams that are being fired from the spaceship. Thunderbolt dodges one and says, We're being shot at, Doc! We gonna just float like ducks in a shooting gallery? No, once more I shall teleport us to inside the vessel. The effort will exhaust me. You, Thunderbolt, must then vanquish the enemy alone. And back inside Creator 2's spaceship, he looks delighted as they vanish from the screen in front of him. He says, We scored! The Earthlings are gone! And then, off panel, a familiar voice says, But I hope not forgotten, chummy! And Creator 2 whirls around to see that Dr. Fate and the Thunderbolt have arrived inside. Creator 2 bellows, Impossible! Had you discorporeated yourselves, my alarms would have alerted us! Thunderbolt says, Can it be that those alarms aren't geared for magic? In the next panel, Thunderbolt starts zipping around, punching out all of the alien lackeys as he says, Enough chit-chat! These creeps you got working for you seem like inferior specimens! Couple of low-grade spells ought to do for them! In the next panel, Creator 2 lunges forward because it seems though the red and green circles are kinning where he needs them to be. He says, I shall complete my creation! The button! However, Thunderbolt cuts him off at the pass, 
Burst of pink energy gets in the way as he says, No way, dude! I got a spell made to order! Hasn't gone too well, though. Thunderbolt says, Um, doesn't seem to operate. My magic isn't set up for this alien scene. So, Crater 2 is making another attempt to get to his screen as Dr. Fate recovers from his exertions, gets to his feet thinking, The Thunderbolt is, alas, a, a great three sorcerer, through no fault of his, unable to cope. I must summon my will, force myself to tremendous effort. Next panel's a cracker. You see Dr. Fate standing the heart of a yellow and red vortex as he thinks, I must tap the well springs of creation itself, focus them through my person, and annihilate this ship, this unspeakable evil. And the caption for panel 2 of page 20 says, No man can describe the shock that follows. Yes, I'll do my best. Basically, we see a massive explosion tearing Crater 2's ship apart. It's almost like there's a succession of red energy beams or blasts firing out in all directions, just destroying it completely. Tremors reach into the farthest corner of Earth 1 and Earth 2. And we see people reacting to rocks flying around in what looks like mild volcanic activity. And the vast reaches of nether space where the device hidden in Red Tornado's skull is disabled. And it almost looks so ready as smiling here as he's been released. <laughs> he certainly looks a bit more relaxed. There's no aura around him. He's probably back to normal. Thank goodness. He said his limits are taken out. Yeah. And the final panel, page 20, shows Dr. Fate and the Thunderbolt safely in space as they look at the wreckage of the spaceship and Dr. Fate thinks, At the last moment I was able to erect an ectoplasmic shield around the Thunderbolt and myself. We lived through the explosion. I doubt that any other did. Yes, Dr. Fate, you murderer. You naughty Dr. Fate. Well, page 21 now. But the deed is done. Slowly, magnificently, the dimensions pull apart. The separate planes of existence once again establish separate dominion. An order reigns in the universes. However, there is one who pays a terrible price for his heroism. Yes, caught between two worlds, even as they start to separate. It's a nice red jagged line representing the dimension of Void, and we can see again, <laughs> take a drink, the two moons of the respective Earth. We see the spectre. It's almost as though he's been attached to each Earth. He's been stretched and pulled apart. Mm -hmm. He's thinking, The blast! Too much. My corporeal form cannot survive. And in the next panel, it's almost like his body is destroyed or just turned into a cloud. It's, like, it's almost like his head and his cloak have been separated and they're floating off into the void of space. This is terrible. He's even crying. The spectre thinks, At last, my soul is liberated to traverse the limitless void, to know the ultimate peace, the final contentment. And thus, do I atone for the sins I have committed and those I have not. So... Capricious destiny denies Black Canary her end, giving it instead to that strangest of heroes, the Spectre. A moment's silence for the Spectre's sacrifice. First panel, page 22. Elsewhere, there is joy. Shot of the JLA satellite, and in the next panel we're inside with Green Arrow, Black Canary and the Atom. The Atom is delightedly looking at some readings on a computer in front of him. He cries, Look at that! We're pulling away! We made it! The crisis is past. The next panel, Green Arrow grabs Black Canary by the waist, lifts her up into the air, saying, Hoo-hee! Looks like you have to put up with our company a bit longer, bird lady. No wild black for you. I can't really say I'm sorry. Now put me down, you big lug. And then off panel, 
A voice says, Mind telling us what's happened? Batman and Superman arrive on the scene. I gather we've missed a momentous event. Green Arrow turns to see Superman and Batman arriving and says, Well, the sleeping beauties are with us. And the atom continues, Momentous doesn't say it, Batman. Matter of fact, I don't know what happened exactly. I'd have to guess that our pals at Justice Society pulled a real wingding of a rabbit out of the hat. And another voice from off-camera says, Correct, little buddy. Green Lantern Hal Jordan rejoins everyone in the final panel of page 22 as he continues, The Red Tornado gave me the story when I was turned loose. He got it from Doc Fate via telepathy. Well, that's a bit crap, isn't it, listeners? <laughs> we arrive at the final page, page 23. Caption for the first panel says, The tale is told to a breathless audience, and then... We see the Flash, Superman, Black Canary, Hawkman, Green Arrow and Batman as Queen Lantern concludes. So it's a happy ending all round. Canary says, no, not happy for the Spectre. And then very dynamic shot of Green Arrow and the Atom to conclude proceedings as Green Arrow says, I can't help feeling that somewhere, somehow, the ghostly guardian lives. He's too strong, too noble to die. We'll hear from him again. Count on it. And the Atom responds, I hope you're right. And a tiny final caption says, The End. Well, that was exciting, wasn't it? Yes. Yes. The Spectre is dead. Again. <laughs> That's the first thing we should talk about. Let's talk about the Spectre, who has gone from stood with the rest of everyone <laughs> in the last issue and having a line of dialogue at the big meeting scene to suddenly being locked in a crypt almost seems like he's in a whole series reboot off camera, <laughs> doesn't it? You know, the Doctor Fate maybe teamed up with him during because you know, he that, knew um, about what happened? Well, it's, you know, there was no mention of the Book of Judgment. No. But he seems to be trapped in this crypt and can only emerge, blah, blah, blah. So there's certainly been some off-camera developments. But yeah. all of that must have happened between issues 82 and 83 <laughs> because he was stood at the group meeting exactly. not feeling any, any of the worse for wear. Unless one of the provisos for him actually getting out of the crypt is allowed to attend GSA meetings. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. Could be in the small print from, from his boss upstairs. Yeah. Now, that sequence of the spectre being sort of drawn out or summoned was brilliant, very, very uh -huh. effective. And I liked mm -hmm. how him and Thunderbolt and Dr. Fate all flew into action. It's the debut of Justice Society Dark. But it's going to be a little while before we see the Spectre again. But let's yeah. let's remember this. Let's mm -hmm. keep that last page with him in mind and think about think yeah. about that the next time we see him and what uh -huh. could possibly be happening. Mm -hmm. It definitely does seem like that was a sacrifice of the of the Ghostly Guardian. And yeah. in a way it kind of echoed, you know, when they thought Red Tornado had blown himself up mm -hmm. earlier on and when in his first appearance, you know, yeah. to try and get in the road of it all. Interesting. Now, the thing we should also mention in relation to that was, did either of you read the JLA Year One series when it was published? I'm afraid not. Yes, yes, but was. a long time ago. Yeah. Check it out, listeners. It's by Mark Wade and Barry Kitson. It's tremendous. Probably made redundant and irrelevant by every other crisis in New 52 and every other rebirth or, mm -hmm. or reboot that's yeah, been it since. Has. But it's basically the post-crisis early days of the, of the JLA. And that is a scene towards the end when Wotan, who we've talked about in the past, and mm -hmm. Spectre are battling back to back against the alien invaders. And Votan tries to trick the Spectre, but it ends up being that the Spectre fires it all back on Votan, and Votan ends up trapped inside a crypt. And he has a line that says something like, Ah, Spectre, one day our places will be reversed! Or something like that. Ah, so that's obviously okay. percolated in Mark Wade's head for 20-odd yes. years. And when he wrote his DC comic, he tidied up and explained <laughs> what had gone on. So that's not one that we have to worry about ourselves. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, of course, when you write our DC comic, we'll... Mm. We'll write a longer version of, of that all. I love the fact that, you know, Mark Wade sat on it, sat on it and sat on it and then went, I know, only Dave Steele's going to care about this, but I'm just going <laughs> to fix this bit of story now. 
So that was good. I have a theory about what might have happened to the Spectre. Right. I think that perhaps Jim Corrigan himself was killed because we hadn't actually seen Corrigan and the Spectre after they, they split from the last time and that's weakened the Spectre enough that he basically has to go into this crypt and can only be summoned out in times of dire emergency. Could it have been Jim Corrigan's crypt? That's what I mean, yeah. Right. Uh-huh. So okay. I think that's quite possibly what's happened. But obviously we don't see that. If we'd seen that in the gravestone, I thought that, that'd be excellent. Yeah, yeah, if it said Corrigan. That tidied that up nicely. If it said Corrigan, yeah. that would have been fine. And uh-huh. Mark Wade wouldn't have had to have done anything. It's the fact that also that big caption alludes to this terrible story, which you never, ever, ever see. Well, we do. We have just, I've just said Mark Wade explained it in general. Yeah, no, but, just be, yeah. but that's a retcon, obviously. Uh-huh. Yes, but, uh-huh. I mean, it's, it's interesting that they're, they're referring to all this. Yeah. You know, it's like the giant rap Sumatra and the Sherlock Holmes stories. You Indeed, know, yes. Mankind is not yet ready to, to know such things. But what happened to the Journal of Judgments? We don't well, well, when we write our DC comic, we'll explain. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, that's what it said, though. Since the last time we saw him, quite a lot has changed for the Spectre, obviously. Maybe someone else has now has the Journal of Judgments. I don't and, know. Uh, will, will we ever see the Journal of Judgment again? Yeah. I hope not. <laughs> I don't know. If someone else wants to be a horror host for a while, you know, yeah, it's, it's quite suppose. a handy thing. Phantom yeah. Stranger could pick up a book from time to time. It's fine. So for me, the thing that's interesting that we don't find out is who is a Creator 2 working for? Who is his yes. client? Aha, uh-huh, who wants this custom planet built? Exactly, yeah. I found that fast. That whole concept was fascinating. It reminded me a lot of, uh, do you remember Justice League International? There was a character called Mr. Nebula Cosmic Designer that basically was like a, a camp version of Galactus. All right, but, yeah. but instead of eating planets, he would just come over and give them a makeover. <laughs> a changing room style makeover. Yeah, exactly. It reminded me of reminded me totally of that, as, except obviously a much more sinister version. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, exactly. Who was he working for? We, we never know. No. Very interesting sort of motivation that he had. Also, it implies the existence of a creator one. Sure. That's the thing. I mean, were they trying to say that he was God? Maybe. You know, creator is a term that is used to describe God. It's an interesting one. So, does Uh, God want those worlds destroyed to make a new one? Hmm, interesting. Well, will Creator 2 ever return? Probably not. But I love just the fact that Dr. Fate was just so merciless and just blew up his spaceship. That yeah, was tremendous. Yeah, there you go. The interesting thing that we should say about the story, of course, is at no point, apart from Green Lantern meeting Red Tornado, this is the first JLA-JSA crossover mm-hmm. that isn't really a team-up. They don't meet at all. Yeah. It's an interesting spin. Mm-hmm. I liked how the action was you know, was more or less divvied up equally between them, but it's a, it's still a wee bit yeah, disappointing yeah. that we don't really all see them interact together. Yeah, but I suppose the, na- the nature of the story means it probably couldn't happen. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, it feels like a waste of these 21 days that apparently we have, this yeah. window that we established last yeah. episode, that uh, you know you can actually have the, the two Earths sort of crossover. Yeah, that was a bit annoying. The other thing I wanted to talk about briefly was just, we saw the parallel versions of Green Lantern and the Hawkman being struck this time, which is quite effective. Mm-hmm. But given that Ray Palmer, the Earth one atom with quite a lot to do. We didn't really see anything at all of his own yeah. into part, uh-huh. which is interesting, given what we were saying when we were talking about part one, how Batman was affected in tandem with Dr. Midnight. Yeah. It obviously shows that there had to be some proper connection and maybe the two atoms were too different. Yep, could be. It would have been nice to have seen Al Pratt being involved, yeah. having a bit of fighting, and then at the crucial moment as they're trying to work out in Earth One what's going on, mm-hmm. Ray Palmer collapses and it's just left to Green Arrow and Black Canary and Hal Jordan to figure out. That might have been a bit more drama. Might take another page. I don't know. I mean, one thing we have talked about in the past with some of the stories is how uneven the the pacing has been at points. Mm -hmm. Like, we did that Batman and Wildcat story a few weeks ago when it seemed like there was massive narrative leaps between certain panels. But this one felt really well structured. Mm Mm-hmm quite balanced at points so definitely I think part two was very very satisfying before we jump onto the letters I think I've got one more point I want to raise it's the final panel I find it hilarious that Green Arrow delivers the eulogy for the Spectre considering he's never met him (laughs) (laughs) yes that's excellent you know the he's too strong too noble to die we'll hear from him again 
because of that time I heard about you guys yes. fighting <laughs> on his body. Yeah, that's crazy. Just because he's Danny O'Neill's favourite character to write. Yes, just it's, it's that is that, No, you're right. That's that's ridiculous when you point it out. Maybe when we write our DC comic, we could do the Spectre Green Arrow team up. <laughs> also featuring the Flash, Barry Allen, because they're really good pals as well. <laughs> of course. Maybe the Spectre talks them into growing a goatee. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only nice thing Green Arrow says in the whole uh, <laughs> comic. Yeah, he's quite yeah. narky the rest yeah, of the he is. Yeah. He just wants to do that hard travelling. He, he's, he's like, Maybe. I don't want to do this cosmic stuff. Just, Maybe you know, get in the roads. Maybe the Spectre becomes aware of Green Arrow's positive sentiment, and that's why the Crispus Allen Spectre is a goatee many years in the future. I don't know. There we are. Who can say? <laughs> who can it's, say? Um, I'll tell you who can say. The readers can say. Let's find out by jumping into the letters pages. The letters pages in issue 87 this time, listeners. We're not going to do all the letters for reasons of space and time. The next one, which I'm going to give you, goes like this. Dear Editor... Denny O'Neill has the ability to give us believable, uncampy dialogue. Denny O'Neill has the ability to give us strong, unstereotyped characterizations. Denny O'Neill has the ability to give us marvelously original plots. And it's for demonstrating those abilities in Justice League 83. Well, let's just say that one out of three is not exactly too fantastic as an average more <laughs> As a matter of fact, you might well have been very wise indeed in not giving writer O'Neill and artist Dick Dillon and Joe Ellett any writer-artist credits within the story. Oh no, wait a minute, you might have. On page three, there is a reference to a wrecking crew. Ooh. Because that's essentially what JLA 83 was, a wrecking of potentially beautiful ideas. The basic idea in the plot, a common denominator between the parallel Earths being about to cause each other's destruction, and the very original basic idea behind the story, a JLA-JSA team-up in which the JLA never actually meet the JSA, were both excellent in JLA 82. By the second issues, where Valor fails, these ideas were wearing thin. O'Neill had no new angles to introduce in 83, so he had to settle for a rehashing of the whatever happens to JSAers happens to the JLA bit and another ghost meeting. But the ghost meeting was cool. O'Neill's whole effort was to give the JSA members personalities for the JSA was conceived in the golden age of give us plots, not characterisation. It's a great idea. But if O'Neill's idea of characterisation is to stick us with hideous dialogue like anybody that can KO old soups ain't gonna have any trouble the rest of us or here I am, so what's doing? You want something? We open brackets here. I get sick every time I think about the dialogue O'Neill gave the Thunderbolt. Wow. I thought he was great. I love the fact that he used the Thunderbolt so well. Mm -hmm. Oh, well. Even some of the less important bits of dialogue were equally horrendous. How can you expect us to sit here and not flinch when you throw such gems at us as O Grand Shaper of Habitats or O Deft Sculptor of the Universes? Huh? I think he's missing the point about the characterisation there, isn't he? (laughs) Another thing that annoyed me no end was the slipshod manner in which you handled the spectre. Of course you can't reveal the reason the spectre was residing in that mausoleum, because there is no reason. Some of the Batman spectre team-ups in Brave and the Bold have indicated that the spectre's adventures in his own mag have taken place in Earth-1, yet there is only one spectre who, according to previous issues of JLA, is a member of the Justice Society and operating on Earth-2. It appears to me that O'Neill got as fed up with the Earth discrepancy in spectre as I did, and decided to cop out altogether by killing him off open brackets, however slickly it was done. This part's in inverted commas because he's quoting Green Arrow. I can't help feeling somewhere. The ghostly guardian lives. Close inverted commas. Oh, rubbish, says the correspondent. You just want to bring him back again when you're stuck with a surprise ending. I can see it now. Spectre returns with the Catwoman and they both get killed again and again and again and again. And that very snarky letter is from Martin Pascoe Clifton, New Jersey. Future comic writer Martin Pascoe. Now I'm going to try and find some Martin Pascoe comics and (laughs) examine what his dialogue was like. I wonder if he ever worked with Denny O'Neill. 
And the next letter says, Dear Editor, where Valor fails, will Magic Triumph was an astounding conclusion to Peril of the Paired Planets. I said astounding because the artwork was marvellous. The elimination of the heroes one by one was magnificent. And it featured the first letter I ever had printed in a comic magazine, and I thank you very much. However, the main reason I am writing this letter is to discuss the death of the Spectre. I do not consider myself an expert on the Spectre, as I only have the last three issues of his now defunct magazine. But... In that time, he'd established himself as one of my favourites. In Fact File No. 8, which appeared in various DC magazines, it was explained that the Spectre was a ghost whose work on Earth was not yet finished. I have a theory that when the Spectre prevented the two Earths from colliding, he atoned for his past sins, as Spectre himself said, and instead of dying, his spirit was allowed to be at rest. However, if a case in the future required the Spectre, such as the destruction of the entire universe, the Spectre would be obliged to fight the menace. Thus, Dinaro's prediction would be fulfilled, and once again, the Justice League of America would meet the Justice Society of America augmented with The The Spectre. Even if you do not use this story idea for Crisis on Infinite Earths, I would like to see The Spectre return someday, and I hope that many fans feel the same way and apply pressure so that once again The Spectre will grace the pages of a DC magazine. And that, with one line inserted by me, was from Carl Liebold from Cleveland, Ohio. Editorial response says, It's dead certain the Spectre will be making another of his amazing comebacks, some issue or other. J.S. Yeah, I mean, as the crow flies, we're a couple of years away from the Adventure Comics series. We're a couple of years away from Pop Up and Brave and Bold. Spoilers. But Pete and I, when we get to those stories, we will bear the conclusion of issue 83 in mind. Oh, don't you worry. (laughs) We will very much so. So, the final letter we're going to do from, from this issue goes like so. Dear Editor, Night. Two lone figures are burning the midnight oil at 909 3rd Avenue. To their wives it's just working late, but to them it's an editorial conference. One lamp illuminates a half-finished cover, the banner of the Justice League of America, and two heroes, Superman and Batman, waiting for the cover to be built around them. Well, truthfully, says the strange bald man called editor. I like it, Denny. I mean, it's got everything. You've fouled up a potentially good plot with mounds of scientific double talk, throwing in every superhero this side of the shadow, and you even have a perfectly marvellous gimmick, that old voodoo slant that went out in the 50s. And need I remark as to the dialogue? Oh, deft sculptor of universes. I nearly fell off my chair when I read that one. Beautifully inane. O'Neill smiles proudly. The editor rambles on. But really, Denny. I can't have feeling there's something missing. O'Neill reacts. A flurry of inspiration. Drama. The editor reacts. Drama? Drama? And drama in your stories always means death. A sigh. Now, says the editor slowly. Who shall we kill? O'Neill coughs. <clears throat> Green Arrow? Not until his stint Green Lantern is over. The Flash? His sails are too good. Black Canary? Then who do we get to replace Wonder Woman? From two bone-dry lips. O'Neill whispers, The Spectre? Silence. Wonderful, says the editor in awe. We can clear up that mess about the book, find a way to wrap up the story, and we might even get a dramatic panel or two to put. After all, his mag's folded. Who cares what happens to him now? Get to work, boy. Don't forget to have Green Arrow deliver the closing speech. Uh, Something flowery, you know, to make it seem like G.A.'s the only thinker in the group. Get cracking, man! And the rest is history. So is World War II. And that's from future comic writer Alan Brennert Fantastic. from in New Jersey. Well done, Alan. <laughs> Round of applause for <laughs> that. That was very, superb. Very superb, sir. Um, mm. Interesting that people had a lot to say about the Spectre. Yeah. It suggests that there's still a bit of popularity mm. and he's still 
well regarded by certain folk but you know they're not obviously weren't buying his comic in sufficient numbers nope and that happens every time he gets a new comic yeah. <laughs> which has been about 20 times I, now, I think it seems interesting yeah because we haven't really seen much of him since his I don't think we've seen him at all since his own book finished it's been nice to have him nope, back that's this, been this week mm-hmm. and yes as we've all hinted at that won't be the the last time that we see the Spectre. So are you looking forward to seeing the Spectre again? Have you enjoyed this episode? Did you enjoy that letter from Alan Brennert? <laughs> Please get in touch and let us know. You can email us at theearth2podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you follow us on social media because we're putting up some lovely bonus content for this and indeed every episode. On Facebook and Instagram, we're at the Earth 2 Podcast and on Twitter, we're at podcast underscore Earth 2. Yep, if you're feeling generous, you can go to wherever it is you receive your podcast and leave us a glowing happy review. If you're feeling especially generous, you can go to our coffee page buy pizza the price of a beverage. That would be very much appreciated. Indeed. Now that I'm drinking them while I edit in the mornings in Costa. <laughs> yeah. Did you hear the thing about um, apparently Starbucks are going cashless? Fine. It's going to backfire, I think, in some cases. No, anyway, other coffee <laughs> conveyors are available. And on that note, I've been Peter. I've been Gavin. Gavin, thank you for joining us. Please do come back again <laughs> soon. Yes, that was spectacular. And I've been David. We'll see you again very soon on... The Earth to Podcast! Transmatter Cube activated. Return coordinate set for Earth Prime. We're not going to batter about... What's, how do you call it? Beat around the bush? <clears throat> we're not going to beat about... We're not going to be trying... We're not going to try and say anything clever. <laughs> Doctor Fate is there. Our man is there. Starman is there. And Johnny Midnight. Johnny Midnight? <laughs> Johnny Midnight. Come on soon from Big Finish Productions. <laughs>